you do have your Bibles and you're there in Matthew 7, we'll be there in just a second. Let me kind of get you caught up. We are walking chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Jesus sits down on a side of a mountain and he begins teaching his followers what it looks like to walk and talk, give and live for the better kingdom, God's kingdom, not our kingdom, God's kingdom. And today he's going to continue with a subject that he's already mentioned at least two other times in his sermon. Now we think, man, this is three, you know, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. This is, if you just read that, you're talking about a sermon about as long as I preach, all right? So it ain't like really, really long. But he's already mentioned, I mean, we're not at the end of the sermon yet, but he's already mentioned this subject twice. And here we are, he's going to mention a third time. And, and I was just thinking this week, listen, when we repeat things that often to our kids, it's because it's important, right? It's very, very important that they hear and see what we're saying, and that it's imperative that they follow through with whatever it is that we keep saying, hey, this is important. Don't forget this. And I feel like in Jesus' sermon, that's kind of what he's doing with the subject that we're going to talk about today, because he talked about it in chapter 5, he talked about it in chapter 6, and now here we are in chapter 7. And so I'm thinking Jesus is probably pretty serious about this subject, all right? So let me remind you of what he's already said about this subject in chapters 5 and 6, and then we'll look at our text today. It'll be on the screen. In chapter 5, Jesus says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. And we know that. We hear that. We don't like that. Maybe we know that verse well because it's one we don't practice very well. Love your enemies. Are you kidding me? But it's this last part that I think is even more extreme. Don't just love them. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. Jesus says that we are to pray for the people who intentionally cause us harm. And this isn't a prayer of, God, would you kill them? <laughs> That's not what Jesus' motive here is. No, it's like, God, would you just remove them from my life? No, no. Pray for them means this. Pray for their benefit. We're talking about people who are hurting you, hurting your family, hurting your job, hurting your reputation. Pray, speak their name to the Heavenly Father for their benefit. Pray for their change of heart. Pray for their change of mind and that they would receive the gospel. And come on, let's just be honest. We don't want them to receive the gospel. We want them to receive the wrath of God. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You pray. You don't hit. You don't slander. You don't gossip about those who persecute you. You don't retaliate against those who persecute you. Pray for them. Hmm. Now, I'm not sure there's anything harder in Scripture than what Jesus just asked us to do. And then he goes on in chapter 6. Here's what he says in chapter 6 about prayer. When you pray, remember the sermon? Jesus assumes that his people are praying people, so it's not if you pray, it's when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues and everywhere where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your father in private, then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need before you ask. That's a good verse, by the way. If you believe in writing in your Bible, that's a good verse to underline. Your heavenly Father knows 
what you're gonna pray before you pray it. He knows what you need before you even need it. He knows. Wow. Pray like this. He goes on to say this. Pray like this. And then we have the Lord's Prayer, which I would probably say should be more entitled the Disciples' Prayer, because Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. It's this idea of acknowledging the positioning of our holy, sovereign God. We have to start there. That we're not praying to some earthly father with earthly powers, with limited capabilities. We're praying to a holy, perfect, sovereign Lord. May your kingdom come. May your will be done be done on earth as it is in heaven. Acknowledge God's better kingdom and pray for your heart to align with his heart. Give us today the the food that we need. Acknowledge that God is your provider. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Acknowledge that God is our healer and our salvation. And don't let us yield to temptation. Uh, temptation. Acknowledge that you are prone to sin still. And rescue us from the evil one. Acknowledge that God is our deliverer. And then we get to today's text. If you want to hear more about those sermons, you can go back and watch them from a few weeks ago. But in chapter 7, Starting at a verse seven, Jesus says this, keep on asking. Monday morning, I woke up and got my coffee and sit down in my recliner and opened my Bible. And Usually on Monday mornings, the first thing I do is look at what the text is for this coming Sunday, just to, just to start getting it in my mind so it can kind of marinate all week. And I didn't get past those three words. Keep on asking. I thought I need to call. Mel- I need to message Melissa, because last Sunday we anointed her with oil and we stood over her and we laid hands on her and we prayed for God to touch her arm. And I asked Melissa how it was going, and she it was it was awesome because she said it's better. The pain wasn't completely gone, but she woke up feeling better than she had in a long time but it wasn't completely healed. And, I, and God reminded me of those first three words. Well, then you just keep on asking. It's like, well, that didn't work. All right, I guess we're, we'll move on to the next prayer. Hopefully, one of these is gonna work one of these days. Now, Jesus is teaching, hey, hey, here's what we do with prayer. Verse seven, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. He continues, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. And then Jesus gets to his point. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, and, and, and we do, don't we? We love. I, I know sometimes our kids think we're just here to ruin their lives, but we really, really do. I think as parents, hopefully, we really, really like to spoil them. We, we, we like to love on them and, and, and lavish gifts to them. We love to surprise them. Don't we? And Jesus says, if that's true as parents, and you're broken, you're depraved, man. You you can't even. He says, if you, as broken, sinful people, like to do that for your children, I love this. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? As much as we love lavishing good gifts on the people we love, Jesus says our Heavenly Father loves giving more to those who ask. That should be comforting for us this morning. I love uh, Sinclair Ferguson says, prayer is the great blessing that puts our impotence 
in touch with God's omnipotence. Our lack in touch with his supply. Our needs in touch with his riches. I love that. He goes on to liken prayer to an extravagant banquet where everything we need, everything we want is on the spread. It's there, right? I mean, imagine this morning. If you walked into this room and you smelt the aroma of all of these beautiful foods because somebody had spent all week planning and someone had gone out of their way to prepare the most lavish banquet you could imagine. Everything, you, your favorite food, it's back there and it's waiting on the table and it's, it's, it's gonna be the best you've ever tasted because so much love and work went into preparing these recipes. You can imagine it, it's back there. And then I get done preaching and the host is standing back there, can't wait for you to see it and, and just love on you and, and watch you eat everything that he supplies. And instead of going back there, we all leave because it's Father's Day. Well, we can't stay today. We have plans we're, we're busy. We've got other things to do. And what if we all left, each making excuses, one right after another? Because there's a story in the Bible that, that goes like that. It's in Luke chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But Jesus tells a story of a great banquet that was prepared, and there's all of these invites that went out. He says, hey, there's this, I'm preparing this great meal, and when it's ready, I'm going to send out my servant. He's going to tell you it's ready, and you come, and you eat, and it's going to be glorious. It's going to be great. It's going to be the best meal you've ever enjoyed in your life. And, of course, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And, of course, the banquet's done. The food's ready. The servant goes out, and one after one, excuse after excuse. I want to pick it up in verse 17. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come because she won't let me. No, I don't know if that's what. I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was, I want you to see that last word. His master was what? So the, the host tells the servant to send out all these other invitations to the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, anyone you can find. Invite them, bring them, fill out. He says, so that my house will be filled. And in verse 24, it says this, for none of those I first invited will, will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. If Mr. Sinclair can liken prayer to an extravagant uh, banquet, then I can liken this story from Luke chapter 14 to our own prayer lives because this is a good picture of how we sometimes treat prayer. We have this great banquet set before us. It has everything we could ever imagine because our heavenly father owns it all. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Later on, he says, the earth is full of the Lord's possessions. Think about that for a moment. Our heavenly father knows everything. We just read, Jesus, he knows what we need before we ask. He knows everything. That's what Jesus said. And our heavenly father owns everything. He has everything that we need. And yet, James says, we have not because we ask not. Why is that? How can we explain that our Heavenly Father knows everything we need and has everything we need, and yet we don't have enough faith to ask him for what we need? We wake up on Sunday mornings worried, <laughs> and we let it kind of just rest on us for 15, 20 minutes before we go, oh, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. Why am I worried? He will provide. He will rescue. He will deliver. He will protect. He is my salvation. 
Well, I ask, how can we, knowing he knows it all and owns it all, how can we go without praying for him to, to meet our needs? There's only one of three options. I'll give them to you real quick, and then we're, we'll get into this text a little bit. Number one, pride. One of the reasons we lack to pray is because of pride. You don't think you need to ask. You got this. And, and often we do. It's not, it's not until the tragedy comes. It's not until something happens that's out of your control. It doesn't have to be a tragedy, right? But when something happens that we can't fix, that's when we're like, oh, maybe I did need God. But when everything's okay, right? The kids aren't sick. The wife, the husband's got good jobs. The bank account's got money in it. Like, you got your air conditioners working this week? As long as everything's good, I don't really need to pray. And that's pride. We don't think we need to ask, or maybe we don't believe God has what we need. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we mentioned prayer, that prayer is a good indicator of, of who we're trusting in, right? If we as Christians go a week without praying, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying you don't trust God. You trust you. You trust your abilities. You trust your finances. You trust your boss to pay you and to keep you employed. Or maybe number two, James does go on in that passage. I just said we have not because we ask not. There is another reason in that passage he gives us. He says that we have not because we ask selfishly, right? This isn't one of those things that, oh, if I keep on asking, he's going to let me win the lottery? All right, okay. I'm going to keep praying because I want to be a millionaire. Because that's pro you probably don't want to be a millionaire so you can dissolve all hunger in DeSoto, now, you might have told God you would do that to manipulate him a little bit. God, I will bless other people, I promise. But most of the time, if we're, if, if we're not careful, our prayers are so centered in us. And James says, hey, when you're asking God to give you something just for your consumption, just for your enjoyment, just for you, so your life could be easier, you might not get it. Because what we want is not always what we need. And you know that from your own examples of your children, what they want. Like, no. No, not yet. Why? Just trust me. And we have that same relationship with our Heavenly Father. Number three, and this is one that we did speak on, but not enough last time, is maybe the third reason we don't go to the table and eat of all that the Lord has for us is because of spiritual warfare. I don't think the devil gets enough credit sometimes. He is a good, he is a good deceiver. He is a good thief. He is really good at distracting us from the good food at the Lord's table. And the invitation from our Lord is to come. The invitation from our Lord is to come to the table and eat, come to the table and ask. And we are so full of excuses of why we can't do it. Jesus in our text this morning, gives us a model of how to pray. Now, he gave us, that, he gave us a model in chapter six, all right? We, so we've already looked at that, but he also gives us three points on how we can pray more effectively, I think, in our passage today. Uh, effective, by the way, effectively being the key word, we want our prayers to reach heaven, right? <laughs> like there, you do know there are scriptures that say there's things that hinder our prayers, okay? And, and by the way, fathers, one of those is, is if we don't treat our spouses right, you can read that in, in 1 Peter, That's, that us not treating our spouse right can hinder our prayers to God. Wow. Yeah, I won't preach that today. That's not in the sermon, but I just I don't know why I mentioned that. Maybe some of you needed to hear that. Not only do we want to pray prayers that reach heaven, we, listen, come on, we want to pray prayers that move heaven, right? We want to pray prayers that when we pray, God and the angels rally and they move on our behalf and we see things and we... We feel things and we hear things that we can't explain. We, we want to experience those things. Well, here, at least there's three points. There's probably more, but there's at least two or three points here uh, on how to pray to get heaven to move. This, these heaven-moving, earth-shaking, life-changing prayers. And these points come from Jesus himself. Now, let me give you all three of them real quick. And 
we have to pray sincerely, we have to pray persistently, and we have to pray expectantly. Okay, that's what we're going to look at here. Now, praying sincerely speaks to what a lot of what Jesus has already said in his sermon that we reviewed just a few minutes ago. Uh, praying sincerely, by the way, goes beyond just saying, I will pray for you, and then you not. I mean, that's not being sincere, but that is part of it, and we've talked about that a lot. It's easy to do that on social media. Somebody has a need, I'll pray for you, and then you don't think about it again until you see that person, and they're like, all right, yeah, we'll continue to pray, and you're lying because you haven't been praying. You're, you you want to start praying now, and then you're going to forget that week too. You know what I mean? So, yeah, praying sincere is about if you say you're going to pray for someone, you pray for someone. But it goes beyond that. Praying sincerely means praying from a genuine and pure heart. Not to be admired publicly or draw attention to yourself, but to, spe to specifically tell God what you need. Remember that principle from Philippians 4, 6? Specifically, tell God, don't be general in your prayers. Oh, God, help us. Okay, well, how do you need his help? Well, I just need him to move. Okay, how do you need him to move? Well, I... I don't know. Now, figure out what you need from God and tell him. Be specific. And then be intentional on thanking God for what he's done. So in our text today, we see the other two points. So we are to pray sincerely. Number two, we are to pray persistently. He does, Jesus uh, gives us this by giving us a threefold command. Ask, seek, Knock. All three of these, by the way, are in present tense, which is this calling for us to, it's a continual action in our lives. It's not like, well, I did ask, and I did seek, and I did knock, and so I guess I move on. No, no, no. You ask, and you keep on asking. You seek, and you keep on seeking. You knock, and you keep on knocking. And when we pray like this, Jesus promises that God will answer. Ask, do you see it in the text? Ask, and it will be given. Well, it hasn't been given. Well, keep on asking, keep on, keep on holding, keep on clinging. Seek, I have been seeking. Okay, keep on seeking. Knock, I've been knocking. Listen, the seeker finds so keep on seeking. The knocker gets an open door eventually, so keep on knocking. Jesus speaks more about persistent prayers than other texts. Two of my favorite illustrations is from the Gospel of Luke, Luke 11. It's gonna be on the screen. We're just gonna read it real quick. Here's what Jesus says. Teaching more about prayer, he uses this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from, out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. Listen, uh, not part of the sermon here. If you come at my house at midnight, it better be important. And if you're serving your friend three loaves of bread, you're not a very good friend. <laughs> I don't know. But listen, here's what Jesus says. I tell you this, though he won't do it, this is a friend, though he won't do it for the friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistent. You show up on my house at midnight, and I open my window and say, hey, come back in the morning. And I close my window and I go back to bed. If I hear this for the next hour, go away. You cheap friend, go get something besides bread. Guess what? Eventually, begrudgingly, <laughs> I'm getting out of my bed, and I'm coming to the door, and I'm giving you bread, so this will stop. Jesus tells this story to his followers, teaching them a principle about praying. Now, God doesn't sleep, but you keep knocking until God gets out of bed. I hope that ain't slander. He, God's not in bed, all right? 
He sits on the throne of heaven. You keep knocking with your shameless persistence. Can I give you another confession this morning? Sometimes my, my greatest flaw in prayer is I quit praying. I get impatient. If I prayed for a week, man, if I prayed for a month, it was really serious. And if he hasn't moved in a month, keep asking. But it's been a year. Keep asking. It's been... It's been a decade. Keep seeking. They're never going to change. God's never going to move. Just keep knocking. Because Jesus says, God will answer. God will be found. And God will open the door. Let's not stop. Then he has this other story in Luke 18. This is another good story. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray. So here's another story about prayer. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. Sounds like a lot of judges of the day. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. A widow. Jesus always went to the extreme, by the way, in this stories. I loved it. This, this woman that had no one to speak up for her, this, this woman who had no man to defend her, to protect her, and someone was taking advantage of her. Someone was hurting her, and she's going before the one person that is supposed to be in a position that can help her. Give me justice. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God, I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant praying, request, begging, asking, seeking, knocking. These are the two stories Jesus gives us. They're extreme. But come on, church, we're living in a day. We need to be extreme in our praying. Well, I've prayed for the government. I've moved on. No, you keep praying. Well, I've prayed for my son or daughter. You just keep praying. I've prayed for my spouse. You keep praying. Well, I've prayed for this, this addiction that I've got that God would help me. And I'm still struggling. You keep asking. You keep seeking. And you keep knocking. Because one day, your persistence is going to come through. And I, the one thing about these stories, you see both of them get frustrated and eventually give because they're tired of being annoyed. And I don't know if that's a great picture of our Heavenly Father because I think this, that annoys us so much, He delights it. I believe our Heavenly Father delights in our constant coming before Him, going, God, we need, God, we need, God, we need. You're like, well, that's not how I feel with my own kids. That's because you're sinful. And you're broken. We have a perfect heavenly father that loves for his children to constantly coming, begging, beating the door of heaven and not leaving. I'm not leaving until the door's opened. I think the apostle Paul perhaps said it best in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Good verse to memorize this week if you're wanting to. Never stop praying. <laughs> That's how Paul put it. Because let me just sum it up for you guys that are struggling here. Never stop praying. So when should I stop praying? Never. Like, is there a time? No, never. You wake up praying, you fall asleep praying. You pray as you're getting dressed in the morning. You pray on your way to work. You pray while you're at work. You pray over your meals. You pray over, you never stop praying. The third point of prayer is that we are to pray expectantly. I love this story too because Jesus reminds us that no earthly father would purposely give their child a rock for nourishment when they need bread. What an evil father that would be. A child starving. And we're not talking about our American children starving. Like, oh, I haven't eaten in 30 minutes. You're killing me here. 
Can you imagine a child really, really starving, hungry, needing bread? And you go, well, here, here's a stone. How wicked. Or, or, or he continues with that, or they need fish to eat, and you hand them a snake, something that should nourish them is now something that could harm them. So how much more we can expect our perfect and generous Heavenly Father to give us what we need. Here Jesus is reminding us, and I think this is the big idea. Jesus is reminding us that God is far better at giving than we are at asking. Thank God. Our Heavenly Father is much better at giving than we are at asking So what if we prayed, really believing that as we pray, God's answer to our prayer was already on its way? What if we prayed like that? Every prayer we prayed, what if we believed God's answer was already being, or God's answer to that prayer was already being given as a good gift back to us? If God knows all things, controls all things, and owns all things, why wouldn't we pray expecting to receive? That's the promise we can cling to from this passage. So let me just ask this, and then I'm going to share one more verse, and I'll close up for the day. What would you pray for right now if you knew that God would give you the answer? That's a great question because it can reveal some self-centeredness. I mean, if you knew that you had one prayer on the table right now, that right now as you pray it, God's gonna answer that prayer, what would it be? I wanna share one more verse, and then I'll end. It's in verse 12. At first, it seems kind of out of place. Thought about moving it to next week but I don't believe it's really out of place at all. Jesus says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. A a few observations here from this verse. Uh, Whatever the principle is that Jesus is after here, he concludes it's the essence of everything that God commanded in the Old Testament. Everything God's heart was after, everything God chased after his people in the Old Testament It's found in whatever it is that Jesus is speaking of here. So what's the essence? It's love. Do you remember when the the experts, the the law, the lawyers, those who the experts of the law came to Jesus and they tried tripping up? What's the most out of all of the hundreds and hundreds of laws of the Old Testament, Jesus, which one is the most important? Remember what Jesus said? That's easy. One A. Love God. And, and his audience goes, we didn't ask for an and. We're saying the most important. And Jesus understood you can't separate these two. Love God and love people. Love God, love your neighbor. Do you remember that text? And then he says this at the end of that. He goes, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Everything God was after was his people loving him and loving everyone around them. Loving him and loving people. Loving him and loving others. That's what God was after with every law he ever gave. Love God, love people. Here, what we have to come to know as the golden rule encompasses that love, love as you want to be loved. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Now, here at Journey, we don't talk a lot about the golden rule because we talk a lot about what? Thank you. I don't, who said that? Thank, thanks, Jim. We've only been talking about this four years now. The gospel rule, Right? We believe both are important to the gospel. We believe uh, both are important. The gospel rule comes from the end of Jesus' ministry in John 13 when he commands his followers to do for others as he has done for them. These two, the golden and the gospel rule, they 
They're connected in a sense that Jesus commanded both of them, and we do want others to treat us like Jesus treated us because no one has treated us as good as Jesus has. There is nothing more that we have sold out to as a church here than knowing what Jesus has done for us and then emulating what he has done to us, through us, for others. It's kind of the foundation of what we, listen, we worship Jesus for who he is and what he has done, and we obey Jesus by doing for others as he has done for us. And this, so how are these two things connected? All this praying and then this golden rule and, and the gospel rule, how? Because I really believe this. The only way it's possible for us to ever even attempt to live by this principle of you do for others as you want them to do for you or you do for others as Jesus has done. The only way we can do that is through sincere, persistent, expectant prayers. It's the only way. It's the only way. I have a lot to, I want to say about that, but I'm not going to. Maybe just a bit. Is this me or is this the spirit? What am I supposed to do here? I got one page left. I'm going to say it. The reason why I think those two connect so well together is because if we are going to live our lives doing for others, Paul's principle is this. Remember, you, when, we, when we walk into a room, we are to, to put others' needs above our own. Do you remember that, Philippians 2? That, that, when we, that when we walk into a room, we're not supposed to walk in as the most important person in the room, that we're servants, we're there to serve others. You can only do that. You're only going to walk into the room and put other people's needs above your own if you're already resting in the presence of God, knowing he's taking care of your needs. That's, that's good. That's good. Listen, until we spend some time here being reminded, you wake up afraid on a Sunday morning, and first you got to get your heart and your head right, go, no, no, no. Why, why am I being deceived right now? into staring this giant, this mountain. It's not my giant, it's not my mountain. I'm a child, it's his. God, I rest in you, I trust in you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I got distracted. I took my eyes off you for a moment and I put it on the problem. It's only when we have spent some time in the presence being reminded of who we are in him and that everything we need, he knows it, he has it, he will supply it. And it's only then when we walk into a room and go, guys, I am here for you. Why would I be here for you? You haven't been here for me. doesn't matter. I've got one over here that's always been here for me. Well, you've never supplied. It doesn't matter if you supply money. I have a heavenly father that always supplies. And when we can rest here, we can walk into a room. And we can look after and serve everybody else. You see, until we spend time in prayer, in the presence of our God, being reminded of who he is and what he has done, every minute of the day, never stop praying. We're constantly in that presence of being reminded. It's only then that I can walk out into this world and I can say, you know what? I'm going to do for you as I would like you to do to me. You're not doing that right now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you the way Christ is serving me. I'm going to bless you the way Christ is blessing me. I'm going to pray for you even though you persecute me. Because there's one over here that I persecuted that has forgiven me, saved me, and lavishes his love and his good gifts on me. And so no matter how bad you treat me, I'm going to love you and I'm going to pray for you. You don't have that kind of mentality if you don't have constant, persistent, expectant prayers.
So we have some homework this week. I'm just going to leave it here. I'm going to wrap up. It seems as if God has been giving our church a lot to pray about. And it's not that there's not a lot of needs, but we're a small church for Pete's sake. And I feel like lately there's been a lot of needs. If you're a part of our Facebook page, you know that. It's like not daily, it's like almost sometimes hourly. There's, there's a new one. And we just got Steve home. Man, it was awesome. I always tell God we need some wins. That's, that's a win when somebody goes in for a partial replacement and they come home the next day and everything's good. He's feeling better. Like, yes, thank you, God. And I went to visit him yesterday and it wasn't, it wasn't 30 minutes I left there and Mike calls me going, oh, Lisa's broken. Are you kidding me? I just had a win. <laughs> so is the life of, not a pastor, so is the life of the church. The ebb and flows, the ups and the downs. So I go from rejoicing that God is healing to, oh man, brokenness again. And it seems like that's just kind of been where we've been as a church, right? Lisa and Mike's not here today, and man, that's gonna, that's gonna be, she's gonna need God's comfort and strength and peace over the next days and weeks. And, um, She's going to need, hey, she's worried about, this is, uh, Judy's family's unsaved. She's, so here she is broken and grieving, and, and she's worried about how she's going to be Christ-like to them. I think, that's a, I think there's some areas there, creatively, church, we've got to get involved here as her family and say, hey, hey, it's not your job to reflect the kingdom to her family. It's our job. So we've got to think about some things we can do there. And we're still praying for Melissa. Lynette, still praying for your family? What else have we been praying for? Just this week. Yeah. Get a, I get an email from Buford. I'm like, who's Buford? And, and it's, it's, it's Linda emailing me, and I was like, oh, that's Dell's name. I didn't know that. I'm like, I'm going to start calling you. Like, no, you're not. All right. Yeah, he's having a day. He can't breathe, and he's struggling, and I'm like, oh, we pray. I send it out to the church. And so all of you put your praying. So I just believe you're, you're praying. Guys, my point in, 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 this, in this ending is that God seems to have given us a lot to pray for. And I guess that means he believes we, he's not going to give us uh, more than we can handle through his spirit, through his power, right? Now, he, man, without it. Without his power, without, without resting in who he is and what he's done, and we're trying to do it all out here, oh, yeah, he'll give you more than you can ever handle because he's going to absolutely blow up your life to where you have to look up. But, man, no matter how much he piles on, when we, the church, are empowered by his spirit, apparently he believes that we can keep praying and keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. And tomorrow when other things come, whether it's your family or my family, we keep asking, we keep seeking, and we keep knocking. So I just end by this. Let's be intentional, church. Let's not just say we're going to pray. Let's get, inten- let's get a notebook. How many of you have a, a prayer notebook? I've got a prayer notebook. I don't, I'm not boasting here because I don't open it very often, so that's my confession. But I have a notebook that has every family in our church's name on it. What if we all did that? What if we all just got a notebook and, and every prayer that comes across a Facebook group or, or every, maybe it's a conversation here and it just goes in your notebook. Craig Bogenshot still calls me, every, texts me around and, hey, I'm praying for you, brother. And it came out just a couple weeks ago. He goes, I'm like, man, thank you so much. He goes, well, you're on my, my preacher's list. I'm like, you got a preacher's list? Sarah, this morning, says, I pray for you and your family every morning. I'm like, amazing. Thank you for that. She goes, I got a list. I told her about the preacher's list. She goes, I got one of those too. Like, we all need a preacher's list. We all need a neighbor's list. We all need a church list. We all need lists that every day. Listen, I'm babbling. Buford? He's a part of our church. Like, he's not just a, a person in a seat, he's, he's family. 
There should not be a day goes by that his name doesn't roll off our lips in prayer to the kingdom. Not a day. I wish I could say it's true of me, Dale, but God help me. Every single, oh, I prayed the other day. But what? So much pain, so much struggle, and it was bad Friday, but it's, it's, come on, it's bad every day. In fact, we're going to end service praying over Dale. This is what we're, this is what we're called to do, church. This is what we, if we, if we can't pray right, what else can we do right? We're going to serve our community. Well, you're going to do it and get mad because nobody's showing up because you're doing it outside the power, because you're not resting in the, If you're not praying and dwelling and resting in the presence of God, I mean, everything else is going to go sideways at some point. So this is the one thing we've got to do right. And here's the beauty. You don't have to be really super uber talented. <laughs> like some of you, I just look around. I think Mitch, I think Steve, I think... Tony and Troy, Jeff. Man, Jeff had to come fix my toilet at my house one day. You know why? Because I can't. I can't. I've tried, and it costs me more when I do it myself. I break things. I throw things. It's not a pretty sight. You don't have to be able to fix it. You don't have to have this talent or this gift that no one. God's given us all the ability to pray. Level playing field here. Well, I can't pray as good as you. God doesn't care. Jesus just preached on your fancy words and your perfect sentence. Jill's prayer this morning, that was beautiful. Man, she just kind of went through every, every scenario. And I'm like, maybe I, I was thinking in my head, I probably should have done that on Mother's Day. <laughs> that was beautiful. You don't have to pray like that. Don't stop praying like that. We love those prayers. Do you know what is just as effective? God, we need you. I'm a dad that don't have all the answers, and I'm confused, and I'm hurt, and I'm mad, and I'm angry, or whatever else you fill in the blank what you are. God, I can't do this without. That is just as powerful. It sounds just like this. Jill's prayer sounded like this this morning, and so does God help me. God, you know. The Bible says sometimes we don't even know the Spirit prays on our behalf. Just keep praying, asking, seeking, knocking. Let's never stop that, church. When we stop asking, seeking, knocking, let's close the doors and let's go somewhere else. Because if there's one thing we should be able to do and do really well, it's pray. Amen? Let's pray. Actually, I don't want to do that. I want Dale to come up. We prayed for uh, Melissa last week, and I invited anybody else to come up, and I'm going to do that again. And after service, Dell was walking out, and I was like, Dell, why didn't you come up? He goes, I thought about it, but I didn't want to take away from Melissa. And I had to teach Dell a lesson that God's big enough that God can handle more than one person's prayer at a time. <laughs> and he said, well, maybe next Sunday. And then we got that news Friday. And it was, man, I was hoping with all I had that this was just a momentary thing. But for a second, I had a thought, I hope there is a Sunday. <laughs> hey, what a testament. This, this isn't to shame anybody. He thought he was dying Friday, and he's here on Sunday. Now, if that needs to shame somebody, let it. That needs to convict some people that, we can find every excuse not to gather. Let it. He thought he was dying Friday, had surgery Friday, knee replacement. He's here today. Now, I don't think everybody should do that. I'm not sure you should have done that, Steve. <laughs> but, uh, and I'm just going to say this publicly because you've told me this, and I want to make sure that when it happens, I don't get in trouble with Linda or anybody else. Do you remember what you told me about when you do pass yes. away? Yes, sir, I know exactly what I told you. He says, I want you to preach my funeral in your blue jeans. <laughs> Why I said that, I always <laughs> said that prayer, that when he marries somebody or preaches a funeral, 
He always wears a suit and tie. So I told him, I said, I don't want you to wear a suit and tie when you preach my funeral. And I didn't say it that day, but I just wanted to make sure Linda heard that too. But here's what we're praying. I'm praying that that doesn't happen for years and years and years. Well, I am too, but uh, it's got to happen to everybody. So I feel like I'm no better than anybody else. This is good faith here. Does anybody say, I'm not afraid to die? No, I'm not afraid to die. I want to die now, but if I do, I'm not afraid. When it comes my time, I'm not afraid to die. God help us all get to that place. Because I know what's in store. I've lived my life. Some of it hasn't been good. I mean, I, when I was younger, I was something else. Buford was rebellious, huh? <laughs> Wasn't a whole lot of people knew it back then. <laughs> I mean, the Buford part. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I've, I've made peace with God. Quite a little while ago, and uh, I used to I used to drink. I used to carry on. I'm so glad that He's forgiven me for all that stuff I've done. Well, we're thankful for your testimony. He sat around some men's tables and said, "Hey, you know, Lord's will be done. If He if He keeps me here, praise God, and if He takes me, praise God." Echoes the life of Paul, and we appreciate that. Let me. Anybody else want to come? Does anybody else need prayer this morning? If you remember from last week, this is obedience to the scripture. This is obedience to James, right? If any of you are sick among you, come and let the elders lay their hands. And this is an opportunity that we don't just ask our leadership. We ask all of the, because we're family. Like This is our brother in Christ. And so we ask everybody who would like to to come forward. David, I'm going to ask you, to pray over Dale, but we are going to pray as your family in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, just for reference, struggle breathing, and obviously the pain in the hips and the legs is from the cancer, and so that's, man, we're asking God to give him some relief there, okay, let's pray. Come on around, guys. Pray. 